listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. And oh boy, oh boy, uh, we got a special guest on the show. He is a former fundamentalist who became the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. Shannon T.L. Kearns believes in the transformative power of story. As an ordained priest, a playwright, a theologian, and a writer, all of his work revolves around making meaning through story. Wow. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Um, so our show is called Beckett's Babies, and uh, we have some weird baby fever here. Um, <laughs> and so... If you can just tell us your earliest memory, uh, what was your life like before theater? Yeah, my earliest memory is probably spending time with my grandmother. Um, my mom was a single mom when I was born, and so I spent a lot of my time hanging out with my grandmother. And so just sitting on her lap and telling stories and um, loved how attentive and caring and loving she was of me as, as a little kid. And so those are my earliest memories. That's so beautiful. Um, and then what took you from that young age of spending time with your grandmother into the life of theater? Was it an early, did you get started in theater at a young age or did that happen later? Kind of. Um, so I went to a very conservative evangelical church. And I spent first through sixth grade as a very, very conservative, even more conservative than my evangelical church, private Christian school. Um, and so I did some school plays, which were like ridiculous um, pieces of, of trying to convert people. <laughs> even as a kid. Wow. Um, wow. And then, you know, in my church, same thing. Like we did a, we did a musical every year. Um, but it was always about something churchy. My, I think the earliest one was a play called all we like sheep. And it was about little kids dressed as sheep singing about how good their shepherd is. And of course it's about mm -hmm. Jesus and God. Right. Um, and so as a kid, I started to do acting and, and some singing. Uh, and then in high school, I was homeschooled. And so church became my entire social life. Oh. And so I did a lot of drama um, and I started, and that was when I started writing because I didn't like the drama that was out there. It, it didn't, I didn't feel like it had a place for me or it all felt really silly and I wanted to do something more serious. And so my earliest writings were all, and I say this with a lot of affection, like religious propaganda, <laughs> right? <laughs> Someone had to get saved at the end. Mm -hmm. Jesus had to fix everything. Uh, and so it wasn't really until college that I started writing more seriously and writing um, with more nuance, right? Mm. Uh, I, where I realized like you could ask questions and you didn't have to answer them. <laughs> and that was okay. And that was a big, oh, yeah. that was a big step both in my like, writing journey, but also in my journey as a, as a person of faith uh, and figuring out my own identity too. Can you give us an example of a story you wrote during that time about a question that you didn't have the answer to, or just kind of exploring what that felt like? Yeah. Um, so 
so again, I went to a, a conservative evangelical college um, and I started to realize pretty, uh, pretty much that I wasn't straight. Um, I didn't have any language about gender in college, although if you saw pictures of me, you would be like, you, you look like a 13 year old boy. <laughs> like, how did, how did you not know what was happening? Uh, but I didn't like we had, we were in a culture that didn't talk about gender. Um, and so I kept trying out for the school play and every year they would do some kind of 1930s murder mystery, right? Like that, that was what wow. the did. And so I, they never knew what to do with me because here I was this like really queer looking kid um, and they told me, they said, you know, you are just as good as anyone else, but we, we like literally don't know what role to put you in. Mm-hmm. And so finally I said, well, can I just write a play and do it myself? And they said, yeah, go ahead. Um, and it was a great, I mean, it was a great act of trust on their part to let this kind of rabble rouser, um, do a student led production. So I ended up doing two full, writing two full length plays in college and doing them as student led productions. That's amazing. And, yeah, it was really, really great. Um, and the second one was was all about um, the it, the the idea was that it it was a masquerade and everyone was wearing masks, but then they would take off their masks and they would talk directly to the audience about the things that were actually happening in their mm-hmm. lives. And it, for me, it was a very thinly veiled allegory about church and the experience mm-hmm. that I was having in this like religious environment where I didn't feel like we were allowed to say anything or ask questions or express doubts. And so that play was really starting to grapple with what does it look like to be honest? Can we be honest with one another? What is faith actually like if we take away these ideas of dogma and putting on a happy face mm-hmm. all the time? Um, I had a character come out as gay in that play. They said that they were going to be celibate. That was kind of my way around it. Um mm-hmm. But still, to even raise that question was a big deal on my college campus. Yeah. Um, and it, it made me also feel like, oh, something can happen here if we have the courage to ask questions, um, and especially ask questions in closed systems. So I'd love to know um, your journey into, I guess, so into priesthood. Like, I think that's <laughs> such a, such a, um, like a unique, <laughs> I've, I've never met a playwright who was also, you know, an ordained pastor and theologian. I just, I have always, cause you know, I, I myself, like I grew up in a church and, um, and I was very like, very protected in this bubble of church. And mm-hmm. it was first time where I go into the theater and I see a play for the first time. I go into a theater class for the first time where people are like challenging ideas Mm. and that's not something I grew up used to. (laughs) Um, And so I am so curious to know you're just, your uh, how, you know, your journey to priesthood and that sort of that relationship with being a playwright. Yeah. Um, So I, I really started to feel the only way that I can describe it is called to ministry probably when I was in junior high. Um, and at this point, I, I didn't know that I was trans. Um, everyone assumed I was a girl and in my tradition, girls couldn't get ordained. Uh, and so I really grappled with that sense of, Mm. I feel like I'm supposed to do this work. Uh, but everyone around me is telling me I'm not allowed to do this work. (laughs) What does that mean? And what does that look like? And so I ended up going 
uh, and studying youth ministry uh, in college. I got a degree in youth ministry, even though at the beginning of every single one of my youth ministry classes, we were told um, that all of the women in the class were not allowed to be youth pastors, uh, but we were still allowed to pay and get the degree, uh, which I found interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, And so I started to think like, well, maybe I can, you know, I don't know, be an associate or volunteer as a youth minister, or maybe there's some kind of like non-ordained role that that will get me around this thing. Um, and so when I was in college, I found an internship at a United Methodist Church, uh, which was the first time I'd ever really stepped outside of my own denomination. And the church that I um, interned for ordained women. And it, I, it was the first time that I was like, oh, there are faithful people um, who just disagree on this issue. Uh, And that kind of opened up a space for me to be like, oh, maybe there is space for me. Um, And so after I graduated from college, I got a, I was hired by a a Baptist church as a full-time youth pastor. Um, So not really an ordained position, but had the title of pastor um, and kind of justified it because I had a boss that was a man, (laughs) right? And so again, (laughs) this like weird gender stuff. Um, and did that for three years and really loved it, but also really struggled because I was starting to come out, um, and was in a space where I didn't feel like I could talk about that. And I was still living at home. And, um, so when I left that job, I took a year off just to kind of, I was really burnt out and figure out what else, what might be next. Um, and I, again, felt this sense that I wasn't done with church work. And so that's when I enrolled in seminary. I went to Union Theological Seminary in New York. um, And I came out as trans in my second year of seminary and transitioned while in seminary, um, which was uh, challenging and amazing all at the same time. And in seminary, I was really given both space to deal with my gender, uh, and but also language to connect faith and sexuality and gender identity for the first time in ways that weren't that weren't antagonistic right that they were actually integrated um and that was life-changing for me and that was when i was like oh this is this is what i need to do um and so i graduated from seminary and was still trying to figure out what church do i do i feel like i belong in i I don't know where i'm going to get ordained And someone from the old Catholic church reached out to me on Twitter of all places. uh, And they said, Hey, we want to get the word out that we ordain trans people. Will you help us? And I was like, well, I've never, (laughs) I've never heard of y'all. So I hopped on a phone with the Bishop and we had a conversation. And the more we talked, the more I was like, Oh, this is, this is the group that I need to be in. Um, I'd always felt drawn to Catholic liturgy and to the history of justice work um, really, Mm. really deep, justice work in the Catholic church, but also was like, I cannot be a part of a church that won't ordain queer yeah. folks that won't ordain trans folks mm-hmm. that won't ordain women. That's, that's, I can't do that anymore. Um, so the old Catholic church felt like this perfect marriage of this justice work that I cared about, this tradition that, and ritual that was really meaningful to me. Um, and also a space that ordains all people. Uh, and that was really important. Um, so I ended up being ordained, uh, about eight or nine years ago now, and it's been it's been quite a journey and really beautiful. 
Can you say more about the justice work in the Catholic Church? Because that's something I don't know anything about, and I, I'm just curious. Um, I'm probably not the only one who doesn't know anything about that, and I'm just curious about like what a what about that is so appealing to you and meaningful to you, and and what is that history? Yeah, so in the Roman Catholic Church, I mean, all all throughout its history, there's been a a real deep sense of of folks who are caring for the most marginalized. Um, mm-hmm. The folks that really appeal to me are, are the folks in the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, Dorothy Day and starting mm-hmm. the Catholic worker movement in New York City, uh, the Berrigan brothers who burned draft card files so that young men couldn't be drafted into Vietnam, into the Vietnam War. Wow. Um, and, and these folks who their justice and their action was coming out of a deep sense of faith and out of a really contemplative spirit. And that, that really appealed to me of, of this kind of deep personal piety isn't the right word, but like a, a centered and grounded spirituality um, that then led you to be really active and, and be willing to risk um, everything mm. Uh, in in the world and and so that tradition ha- has been very strong um, and it's something that I'm I'm really inspired by and hope to live up to um, and I think is is in a lot of ways lived out in the old Catholic Church which is you know not in communion with Rome they have their own tradition mm. and um, but but many old Catholic folks are working as you know, chaplains and hospice care workers and having feeding ministries um, and doing what they can to care for whoever needs it where they are. And I, I think that that's a, just, I'm really, I'm thrilled to be in a tradition that takes that so seriously. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, let's just shift gears a little bit and talk about your play. Really excited to talk about this play, um, just for a moment. <laughs> um, so we'd love to learn a little bit more about um, body and blood and the kernel idea. Like, where did the idea come of it? And I'm really excited to hear it out loud this summer at Great Plains. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you want to just share a little bit. Yeah. So when I was in seminary, um, part of the way that I paid the bills was bartending. Um, and I felt like when I was at the bar, um, I was doing and learning more about pastoral care <laughs> than, I, than I was learning in seminary. And so that was part of the kind of the kernel of this idea for this play, which is about a transgender man who's an ordained priest uh, and also a bartender. Wow. And um and so there, there's that. But then there, I'm also really fascinated by the ways that we form community. And um, as more and more people are leaving, for very good reasons, the institutional church, what are the rituals and communities that are taking um, the place that the church used to have in people's lives? Uh, and what does that look like? And um, how we, how might we be able to you know, sanctify secular spaces for lack of a better term. Um, and so this play is, is kind of drawing on all of those big questions. Um, 
but that is also in some ways an allegory about the life of Jesus and mm-hmm. um, yeah. and what is it what does it look like for someone on the margins to embody um, that kind of priestly pastoral role and uh, and what does it look like to to follow your faith in in the midst of of hatred and um, oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a moving play and I think so powerful. And I, as I was reading it, I was thinking that I really, and of course, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot, but I don't know of that many plays that really look deeply at faith. Um, mm. And it seems at least in the circles I've moved in, there's kind of um, like a hesitation in the theater world about writing about religion or even a skepticism about yeah. religion. And I'm just wondering... Um, if you've encountered that in your, you know, when presenting your work and how you kind of navigate bringing this kind of story into a world that's often not very, like, open to religious stories or specifically Christian stories. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. When I started writing seriously again, I really was determined to not write about religion because I didn't mm-hmm. want to be um, seen as a Christian playwright. I'm yeah. using air quotes, Christian playwright, because historically, and I, I don't say this to be mean, but like Christian plays or re- specifically Christian art is usually not that good um, <laughs> because it's designed to be, to convert people, right? Like yeah. it's not necessarily meant to be high quality art or ask questions it's it's designed to convert and so i was like well i can't i i and i'm already and i'm also like writing about social justice stuff and often social justice plays are historically not thought to be very good so i was like oh i can't combine the two but like it kept leaking into my work um and and so finally i was like okay well i just need to embrace it and go all in and so that that's when body and blood happened this was my all-in moment and I do think it's a challenging piece um, for theaters, and it's hard to know. It, it, it's hard to know if it gets rejected from things because it's too queer, or if it gets rejected because it's too religious, <laughs> right? or both. Right? And um, I was talking with a theater that is a, a more. Uh, they have their roots in doing religious Christian plays and they were like we can't do this play like even though it's wow. all about christianity like we can't put a trans person on our stage yet um oh. and oh, so I, I appreciate the my honesty <laughs> yeah right i mean and i think that that's the tension of of folks mm-hmm. that are doing really really specifically explicitly christian plays they're not going to do this play because it's very queer um and yeah and so I, i'm not sure how how other folks are feeling about the mm-hmm. the explicit Christian piece. Hmm. I was so drawn just by the, um, oh, just this, all this like internal struggle that mm-hmm. the characters were just feeling and, um, and the way the play just so just presents itself to um, that, just that internal struggle. Like, that that just felt so um, universal to me, like having to make these really tough decisions, and um, but this 
just the way it's also written um, very beautifully and um, just poetically. Um, I just really yeah. I'm still drawn to that. Um, yeah. Um, Sam, I think you had a good, really great question you wanted to ask earlier. Oh, Would you say yeah. it's a fan question? <laughs> <laughs> well, this question is suggested to us. Um, but, so you've developed this play at a couple of different development um, conferences. And I, and w- so we're just wondering, how do you keep bringing this play into, a, into new spaces of development um, and keep the momentum going and stay excited about developing it when you haven't gotten a production yet, which I think is a very common question for a lot of playwrights, you know, who who take the same play to different development opportunities um, year after year and are still waiting for that production. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think for this play in particular, uh, I, it's been developed in two different places now, but I still they've all been on Zoom. Um, I have never once been in a room with actors doing this um, play in a development process. We did one kind of shortened reading um, just one night really quick at a table, cold read. Mm -hmm. So part of what I'm really excited about for Great Plains is to like be in a room with people. Um, Because I think the questions that I still have about this play are what happens when it's in people's bodies. Um, and so far I've only seen bodies from, you know, the chest up yeah. uh, inhabiting this play uh, and no one in, no one in space together. And I think that it, it's going to really change. Um, and I, I think I'm going to learn a lot. So that to me feels really exciting. I think the other piece of it is, I've had, I've just been really honored to have great dramaturgs and directors kind of Mm. assigned to me in these processes that have just asked such fascinating questions and questions I wouldn't have thought of um, and questions that pushed me to go deeper. And that to me feels really exciting too, to get in the room with folks who are curious and who want to know more and who want it to be its best. Um, and, and to, to just kind of give myself to that process and to their questions. I think the, the thing I'm still learning is how do I, how do I make sure that I'm not, I'm not writing the play that they want instead of yeah, the play yeah, that right. I needed to write, um, which I think is, is yeah. the real challenge of like these development process, like the, the development hell that people call it, right? That yeah. at some point you lose your own play. Um, so I think that's something that I'm still I'm still like learning the balance on that. Sure. We have a lot of listeners who are really um, early in their career or just getting started. And I think it might be helpful for some of them if you could give an example of a question that came up in one of these processes, either for this play or a different play that kind of sent you into an exciting rewrite or helped you see a scene in a new way. Do you have any examples you could share with us? Oh, that's a good question. You know, so the first thing that comes to mind is a question I didn't want to answer. Mm. 
And so I'll say that first, and then maybe another one will come to me. Um, you know, one of the folks w- was really interested um, in talking about how masculinity uh, works in body and blood, especially around the, there's a, a group of guys in the bar that Joshua is a bartender at. Um, and they they were really curious about that and wanted wanted me to to go deeper into that. Uh, and I really just felt like that's not this play. Like I want to write that play, but that's not this play. Mm. And so it was important for me to know um, that's not a question for this play. And if I if I do that, mm. that's gonna take this play and uh, in, in a totally different direction. And I I can't hold all of that in one play. Yeah. Um. I do think folks had and continue to have, and I continue to have a lot of questions about the ending of the play mm-hmm. uh, and how that it, how it plays on stage and what it might look like. Um, and also the role of Psy mm. in the play. And Psy has had different permutations through different versions. Um, and so I think people's questions about those two pieces have really pushed me to to think more deeply about what it is that I'm trying to say, um, both with that character and with the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that that clarity, that push for me to have clarity, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's on the page yet, but it's, I think it's getting closer. And those questions um, pushed me to be clear about what I wanted so cool. that I could answer their questions. Yeah, and we won't spoil the play um, for those of you who haven't read it yet, but um, Sai is the young foster kid who's trans, and he's like 12, I think, um, who Joshua kind of takes under his wing. Yeah. Um, um, I have a question, and this is a kind of referring back to development. Um, we have an upcoming episode about working with a dramaturg. <laughs> and I'd love to hear just what's been your experience like working with a dramaturg because personally for me uh going in that first phone call or you know zoom I I, I just like I don't know what I'm doing here <laughs> I don't know what, how, do I, how do I talk to you um because I know that they're there to kind of support and help any way they can but I, that working, that relationship is just like still something I don't know how to navigate. Um, so I'm so curious how, what's your experience like been like working with a dramaturg? Yeah, I feel like I've gotten really lucky again yeah. in the dramaturgs that I've worked with um, who've all just been really, really brilliant and kind folks and who, um, who really cared about helping me write the piece that I wanted to write. And so I think that's that's part of it is making sure that your dramaturg is team you and not team whatever they want the mm-hmm. thing to be. Um, and so so some of that I think is, is for you as a playwright to at least have some clarity about about yeah. going into the process of what yeah. what is this play. Um, the dramaturgs that I've worked with have have just asked a lot of questions Mm. and I really love that. That's kind of how I work best when someone can just ask me a ton of questions and that that forces me to, to think through things and think out loud. Um, I will say 
one of the things that is interesting is I have yet to work with a trans dramaturg or a trans director on this piece, mm-hmm. um, which I think will be interesting too to see if and how that shifts and changes things. Um, I'm very used to being the only trans person in the room uh, often in creative spaces. And sometimes I'm really yeah. fine with that. Um, sometimes it it creates an interesting dynamic where you've got to do a bit of trans 101 to yeah, catch people up. Yeah, that's what I was Do you feel like you have to teach people just sometimes. Like the fundamentals yeah. <laughs> before you even start talking about the play? Yeah, and, and with this play too, it's also I've also had to do like theology and church Mm. practice 101 yeah <laughs> so there, there's been both of those questions which has been funny of like wait what are they talking about when they talk about this weird church word or church item and i'm like yeah. <laughs> googling and sending pictures um but you know i also I, I i find sometimes that working with people outside of my community helps me to figure out what what might not be making sense mm. um and sometimes i'm okay with them being confused or feeling left out um, because it's, it's like a, it's not for them. Um, Other times it's a moment where it's like, Oh, I should clarify that or it's going to take someone out of the play. And that's important to pay attention to. So um, I wonder if we can switch gears again and just reflect on um, the past couple of years. You said you've had some zoom readings. Um, It seems like, things are starting to open up again and pick up again. Although of course we've been here before, but um, how has the pandemic changed the way you think about theater or approach your writing process? Um, In what ways do you think you're a different artist than you were two years ago? Hmm. You know, on the one hand, I feel like the pandemic and Zoom in particular opened up doors for me uh, in really huge ways. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, I think in some places, I would not have been able to work with the actors or the creative teams that I would have, that I got to work with because they wouldn't have been able to fly people in. And so I would have just had to work with whoever was in the kind of local proximity, which sometimes right, is great. Right. Um, but I've gotten to like work with actors all over the U.S., um, connect with other trans playwrights, connect with other directors. Uh, and that's been a real gift to me um, and one that I'm really grateful for. And so so I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, I definitely feel like I'm more, I'm more convinced than ever that some maybe most of the power of theater is about bodies in a room together, Mm -hmm. Um, both audience bodies and performer artist bodies. Um, To me, when we, and this isn't like a purist zoom theater doesn't count as theater. I'm not saying that, (laughs) Uh, but I do think that like it, it, we, I would write differently if it was on zoom than if I'm intending for us to be breathing and and yeah. moving together. Um, and that part of the power of it for me is, is what is the story that I can only tell when we're all in this space together? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I have been exploring writing for TV over the past couple of years just because I, I wanted to learn a different form and I wanted to see what stories could be told in that space. And it's it's very different for me. It's not It's not the same brain. It's not the same... I don't write the same for those two things. It's mm-hmm. they're very, very different. Um, and that's been an important, I think, learning place for me of, of seeing what what feels really vital to me in theater um, and what feels and what are the stories that I can only tell in theater? Um, so paying attention to that. I think also the other thing is that i've I've noticed how much space I need to really create. Um, and that hadn't been possible in until everything shut down. And I suddenly had space. Uh, and I was like, oh, oh, I actually do better work when I am not exhausted. Like, and I'm not like yeah. running from coffee to to happy hour to whatever. Um, and so, so that's been a... So I'm still trying to figure out, like, what does that look like for me as we move back into whatever is next? I remember thinking in the very early days of the shutdown, like, oh, even though this is kind of annoying right now, I I know I'm going to miss this. (laughs) When everything gets hectic again, I'm really going to miss having no plans for week after week after week. Because it was it was such a reflective time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of starting. Yes, things are starting to reopen. I'm slowly getting back into all the things I used to do right before the pandemic. Mm. And I'm like, do I want to do this? (laughs) Do I like this? I kind of liked just doing one thing. (laughs) Um, So I'm, yeah, I'm finding myself really these like, even though it's been two years and almost over two years now and um and it's those two years really made me realize what's really important to me and like what I really like and what I don't like and how I want to you know live my life (laughs) daily so uh yeah it was a very reflective time for sure yeah 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 um, so we got a fun question that we like to ask all our guests is um, name three playwrights, living or dead, that you would like to invite to a dinner party. And what might be at this dinner party, at, you know, food wise? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for the first three folks uh, that came to mind are Paula Vogel, mm-hmm. um, Sharifa Yasmin. Mm. and uh darcy parker bruce and oh my gosh i'm so glad you mentioned darcy because they are um on our future interview list oh darcy is is choice. brilliant um i love them so much uh i just i feel like the the three i would just love to be a fly on the wall as the three of them have conversations yes. <laughs> uh, because i think it would be so fascinating and uh and lovely and I feel like with that group, it would just need to be a potluck, right? Mm. That everyone brings something that they really Ooh. love um, and would would want to share the story of, because I feel like all of them would have a dish and a story, and that would be really amazing. Oh, that's great. Do you have, when you go to a potluck, Shannon, do you have a signature dish that you bring? 
Oh, well, that's, that is a good question. Um, it's, it depends. I really love to make like a, uh, like a cheesy buffalo chicken Ooh. dip. Oh my God, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I found, I was on an artist residency with someone who was a vegan and I realized, I was like, oh, all of my go-tos are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they all have like dairy or, oh, or meat in them. So I've got to find some good like vegan uh, potluck options, but so far it's all Yum. meat and dairy. Yeah. I love to cook and I, yeah, I have a couple of friends now who are, went full vegan and so I've been like learning some vegan recipes just so, cause I'm a, I'm a type A, I like to think ahead and <laughs> I'm already having some vegan recipes under my belt in case that invite shows up and says, Hey, come to my nice. dinner party. I'm bringing that vegan dish. So <laughs> that's so amazing. Nice. Sarah, I'm pretty sure when we first met, I was vegan and you were like, I'm not making anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> but times have changed. Was that true? Was that true? I don't know. I could be rewriting history. Wait, but I'm not I thought you were a vegetarian. But I don't think you're vegan. Yeah, you're probably right. I wasn't vegan by the time I met you. Okay. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. That's funny. Anyway. <laughs> times have um, changed. <laughs> um, Shannon, what advice would you give to our younger listeners, any playwrights who are just starting out in their career, maybe aren't sure? where to begin. Do you have any tips for them? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the first is, is finish things. Um, mm. You can fix anything yeah. if it's finished, but you can't fix a blank page. Um, so like if, if, if you care about this and it's more than just something you want to do for fun, you got to finish things. Um, the next thing, unfortunately, is like you have to get used to hearing no. And, and that that's not always a bad thing. Um, one thing I just tell people is like, I submit all the time. And that means I'm going to hear, you know, a ton of no's. And it used to be when I was only submitting to a couple of things, a no would just wreck me. Right. Mm. Um, or, you know, and especially, I think also it was a combination of not submitting to a lot of things and being new to submitting I would get a no and I would just be bummed out for a month. And then the more no's I got, it was like, oh, now I'm bummed for a week. Now I'm bummed for a day. Now I get the email and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm, I move on. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, if it's something I deeply, deeply care about, it, it, there's still a, a grieving process. But, yeah. but I think part of the, part of this industry, part of submitting as a playwright it's just, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of no's. Um, And the, like the faster you, you get used to that, the better. Um, And the faster you start getting feedback on your work from, Mm -hmm. from people who are further along than you, the better. I definitely was submitting things that I shouldn't have submitted when I first started because I didn't know to ask for help or feedback. Mm. Um, And then I had a playwright who was much further along like went through a script with me and I was like, Oh, Oh, that's, that's what I should be doing. Okay, great. And that kind of helped me reset of like, okay, this, these pieces aren't ready. Um, God, that's so true. I, just, I cringe to think of the things I sent out. <laughs> it was like I know me too. 22. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. It's the, it's the, like, I hope that they don't 
remember that that was me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Did he have those on file? Like, did they keep it? Okay, good. (laughs) Um, Because, like, I'm just, like, thinking about my first, uh, 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 what do you call those, artistic statement or, you know, those personal letters to O'Neill. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. Please burn that. I hope they don't have that on file. I hope. I hope. Because you know how they ask, like, have you applied for, to us before? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to answer that question. Right. <laughs> if I say yes, then, then say I'm yes, gonna... but don't track down my last application. Yeah, it's not yes. worth it. I'm a different person now. That's... <laughs> yeah, please don't, please don't reread. <laughs> Ten years could t- change a person. Um, oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So. Wow, great, awesome um, advice. Um, so where can our listeners find you, Shannon? I am on um, all of the things at Shannon T.L. Kearns. So I have a Facebook, a public Facebook page. People can friend request me too, that's fine. Um, I'm on TikTok, though I do not do much wow. on TikTok. Uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and then my website is shannontlkearns.com. Nice. Cool. I want to see you on TikTok. Let's see what you got on TikTok. <laughs> I'm like TikTok? really, I'm pretty boring on TikTok. It's, <laughs> I, I'm mostly at the moment doing like trans pep talks of like oh. just hang in there. You're oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh-huh. I've been, I've been watching, I, I don't watch TikTok. I'm not, I'm on TikTok, but I don't really watch as much, uh, but I do watch a lot of Instagram reels and like I've started to like act out these reels in real life, like to my husband. I'm like <laughs> pointing like there's text you know, in real life, and I'm like, do the dishes, you know, like, oh, that's acting amazing. out, and then it's it's kind of taken over my life. Um, <laughs> all right, so this is a part of show called Glistens, where um, we like to share favorite highlights of the week. It could be a, a music you learned or caught your attention, anything that caught your attention and that you discovered and you want to share. Um, so, Sam, do you want to go first? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I saw a couple weeks ago at the Aurora Fox Theater here in Colorado a production of Hurricane Diane by Madeline George, and it was so good, and I um, I just love that play. So that's my glisten. That's a good glisten. Yeah, I want to see that play. <laughs> I want to see oh that play. God, it's, it's so, so funny. Good. It's so, so good. funny, yeah. Um, my glisten is the oh, slap. No. <laughs> Sam, don't Sorry. ruin it. Okay. Um, okay, slap that was heard all around the world. It, it was my, um, I don't know. I just, I got so I, I let, I let it distract me all, from work all week long, and I just love reading everyone's hot takes and everyone <laughs> from mothers to um, little children. I don't know, just every person that can have a hot take on this. I could not. I just loved it all and. And if you don't know what the slap is, where are where are you? <laughs> this week, um, it's it's when Will Smith went up and slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, and oh my gosh! I when I first saw that, I really thought it was um, a joke, like a, a prank or something, like some some like a planned scripted thing. And then there was that um, uncensored uh clip that real was released from like New Zealand or something or Japan and then I was like oh whoa this is real 
Were you question? Were you watching the Oscars when it happened, or were you watching like? I was in the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) when I saw the headline, and then I went and watched it. But had you been watching the Oscars? Like, did you watch it from the beginning, the show? I did not. No. (laughs) See, this is the thing. I don't think anybody actually watches the Oscars anymore. No, no. But everyone got on and started watching after that happened. I used to until La La Land happened. Oh, this, <laughs> this 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 thing is a freaking joke, and I kind of stopped. Um, but yeah, I used to guess and like do the whole like get the ballot and pretend fill out who I think. Oh wow! Land. I used to be pretty into it, and then <laughs> La La Land happened, and I was like, yeah, this is I hate this. Um, yeah. So uh, Shannon, what's your glisten? Yeah, I um, found a new band called Yes You Are and their album Here's to the Great Unknowns. Um, I downloaded it a while ago, but just listened to it for the first time this week and really loved it. It's really Whoa. kind of fun, pop, poppy music, but it was, it was, it felt like spring, um, which is not quite here in Minnesota yet, but <laughs> it gave me hope that spring was coming. Yeah, you probably have another month of snow, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> the last several years, there has been a massive blizzard in mid-April. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, hang um, in there. <laughs> <laughs> do you like to uh, listen to an album from beginning to the end, all the way through? I do. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of old school that way. Nice. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on to our show. Yes, thank so you. Fun. It was so nice. My pleasure. This was so fun. And everybody, be sure to check out Chandler on New Play Exchange, where you can find Body and Blood and a whole bunch of other plays. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening.